This is day 162 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Ezekiel chapters 3 through 7. Lord Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning yielding our spirit to your cause, yielding to your wisdom, to your strength, and to your faithfulness. Lord God, you are so far above us. May you be lifted up in our hearts and in this world that you created. May we understand, Lord, that you are righteousness and you are goodness, and that we should seek your face above all things, and that there is nothing that compares to you. May we understand that better today as we go into Ezekiel, Lord. May we understand that you have a high calling for us, and we need to sacrifice the things in this world that just are so empty and distracting. Please, Lord God, help us to be a heart fully for you. Please bless the reading of this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go, speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. He said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all my words which I will speak to you, and listen closely. Go to the exiles, to the sons of your people, and speak to them and tell them, whether they listen or not. Thus says the Lord God. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Blessed be the glory of the Lord in his place. And I heard the sound of the wings of the living beings touching one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, even a great rumbling sound. So the Spirit lifted me up, and took me away, and I was embittered in the rage of my spirit, and the hand of the Lord was strong on me. Then I came to the exiles who lived beside the river Chabar at Tel Abib, and I sat there seven days where they were living, causing consternation among them. At the end of seven days the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. 
when I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live? That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you have warned the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will die, since you have not warned him. He shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you have delivered yourself. The hand of the Lord was on me there, and he said to me, Get up, go out of the plain, and there I will speak to you. So I got up and went out to the plain. And behold, the glory of the Lord was standing there, like the glory which I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face. The Spirit then entered me and made me stand on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself up in your house. As for you, son of man, they will put ropes on you and bind you to them, so that you cannot go out among them. Moreover, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth, so that you will be mute, and cannot be a man who rebukes them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth, and you will say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who hears, let him hear, and he who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Now you, son of man, get yourself a brick, place it before you, and inscribe a city on it, Jerusalem. Then lay siege against it, build a siege wall, raise up a ramp, pitch camps, and place battering rams against it all around. Then get yourself an iron plate, and set it up as an iron wall between you and the city, and set your face toward it, so that it is under siege and besiege it. This is a sign to the house of Israel. As for you, lie down on your left side, and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel on it. You shall bear their iniquity for the number of days that you lie on it. For I have assigned you a number of days corresponding to the years of their iniquity, three hundred and ninety days. Thus you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. When you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the iniquity of the house of Judah. I have assigned it to you for forty days, a day for each year. Then you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared and prophesy against it. Now behold, I will put ropes on you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have completed the days of your siege. 
But as for you, take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. Put them in one vessel and make them into bread for yourself. You shall eat it according to the number of the days that you lie on your side, 390 days. Your food which you eat shall be 20 shekels a day by weight. You shall eat it from time to time. The water you drink shall be the sixth part of a hin by measure. You shall drink it from time to time. You shall eat it as a barley cake, having baked it in their sight over human dung. Then the Lord said, Thus will the sons of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations, where I will banish them. But I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I have never been defiled. For from my youth until now, I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has any unclean meat ever entered my mouth. Then he said to me, See, I will give you cow's dung in place of human dung, over which you will prepare your bread. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I am going to break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, and they will eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and drink water by measure and in horror, because bread and water will be scarce, and they will be appalled with one another and waste away in their iniquity. As for you, son of man, take a sharp sword. Take and use it as a barber's razor on your head and beard. Then take scales for weighing and divide the hair. One-third you shall burn in the fire at the center of the city, when the days of the siege are completed. Then you shall take one-third and strike it with the sword all around the city and one-third you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheathe a sword behind them. Take also a few in number from them, and bind them in the edges of your robes. Take again some of them, and throw them into the fire, and burn them in the fire. From it a fire will spread to all the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her. But she has rebelled against my ordinances more wickedly than the nations, and against my statutes more than the lands which surround her. For they have rejected my ordinances, and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have more turmoil than the nations which surround you, and have not walked in my statutes, nor observed my ordinances, nor observe the ordinances of the nations which surround you. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, am against you, and I will execute judgments among you in the sight of the nations. And because of all your abominations, I will do among you what I have not done, and the like of which I will never do again. Therefore, fathers will eat their sons among you, and sons will eat their fathers. For I will execute judgments on you and scatter all your remnant to every wind. So as I live, declares the Lord God, surely, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable idols and with all your abominations, 
Therefore I will also withdraw, and my eye will have no pity, and I will not spare. One third of you will die by plague, or be consumed by famine among you. One third will fall by the sword around you, and one third I will scatter to every wind, and I will unsheathe a sword behind them. Thus my anger will be spent, and I will satisfy my wrath on them, and I will be appeased. Then they will know that I, the Lord, have spoken in my zeal when I have spent my wrath upon them. Moreover, I will make you a desolation and reproach among the nations which surround you in the sight of all who pass by. So it will be a reproach, a reviling, a warning, and an object of horror to the nations who surround you when I execute judgments against you in anger, wrath, and raging rebukes. I, the Lord, have spoken. When I send against them the deadly arrows of famine, which were for the destruction of those whom I will send to destroy you, then I will also intensify the famine upon you and break the staff of bread. Moreover, I will send on you famine and wild beasts, and they will bereave you of children. Plague and bloodshed also will pass through you, and I will bring the sword on you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel, and prophesy against them, and say, Mountains of Israel, listen to the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the ravines, and the valleys. Behold, I myself am going to bring a sword on you, and I will destroy your high places. So your altars will become desolate, and your incense altars will be smashed. And I will make your slain fall in front of your idols. I will also lay the dead bodies of the sons of Israel in front of their idols, and I will scatter your bones around your altars. In all your dwellings, cities will become waste, and the high places will be desolate, that your altars may become waste and desolate. Your idols may be broken and brought to an end. Your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be blotted out. The slain will fall among you, and you will know that I am the Lord. However, I will leave a remnant, for you will have those who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered among the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which they will be carried captive. How I have been hurt by your adulterous hearts, which turned away from me, and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols. And they will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed, for all their abominations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would inflict this disaster on them. Thus says the Lord God, Clap your hand, stamp your foot, and say, Alas! Because of all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, which will fall by sword, famine, and plague. He who is far off will die by the plague, and he who is near will fall by the sword. 
and he who remains and is besieged will die by the famine. Thus will I spend my wrath on them. Then you will know that I am the Lord, when their slain are among their idols around their altars, on every high hill, and all the tops of the mountains, under every green tree, and under every leafy oak, the places where they offered soothing aroma to all their idols. So throughout all their habitations, I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land more desolate and waste than the wilderness toward Dibla. Thus they will know that I am the Lord. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, An end, the end is coming on the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways and bring all your abominations upon you. For my eye will have no pity on you, nor will I spare you, but I will bring your ways upon you, and your abominations will be among you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, a disaster, unique disaster. Behold, it is coming. An end is coming. The end has come. It has awakened against you. Behold, it has come. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near. Tumult rather than joyful shouting on the mountains. Now I will shortly pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you. Judge you according to your ways and bring on you all your abominations. My eye will show no pity, nor will I spare. I will repay you according to your ways, while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I, the Lord, do the smiting. Behold the day, behold, it is coming. Your doom has gone forth. The rod has budded. Arrogance has blossomed. Violence has grown into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, none of their people, none of their wealth, nor anything eminent among them. The time has come, the day has arrived. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn. For wrath is against all their multitude. Indeed, the seller will not regain what he sold as long as they both live. For the vision regarding all their multitude will not be averted, nor will any of them maintain his life by his iniquity. They have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but no one is going to the battle. For my wrath is against all their multitude. The sword is outside, and the plague and the famine are within. He who is in the field will die by the sword. Famine and the plague will also consume those in the city. Even when their survivors escape, they will be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them mourning, each over his own iniquity. All hands will hang limp, and all knees will become like water. 
They will gird themselves with sackcloth, and shuddering will overwhelm them. And shame will be on all their faces, and baldness on all their heads. They will fling their silver into the streets, and their gold will become an abhorrent thing. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their appetite, nor can they fill their stomachs, for their iniquity has become an occasion of stumbling. They transformed the beauty of his ornaments into pride, and they made the images of their abominations and their detestable things with it. Therefore I will make it into an abhorrent thing to them. I will give it into the hands of the foreigners as plunder, and to the wicked of the earth as spoil, and they will profane it. I will also turn my face from them, and they will profane my secret place. Then robbers will enter and profane it. Make the chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. Therefore I will bring the worst of the nations, and they will possess their houses. I will also make the pride of the strong ones cease, and their holy places will be profaned. When anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there will be none. Disaster will come upon disaster, and rumor will be added to rumor. Then they will seek a vision from a prophet, but the law will be lost from the priest and counsel from the elders. The king will mourn, the prince will be clothed with horror, and the hands of the people of the land will tremble. According to their conduct, I will deal with them, and by their judgments I will judge them, and they will know that I am the Lord. Okay, so Ezekiel's got some interesting stuff to talk about here, so let's begin. Chapter 3 is the beginning of Ezekiel's commissioning by the Lord. So we saw in chapter 2 that God has prepared a scroll on it, and the scroll has lamentations, mourning, and woe written on them, and the Lord asks him to eat it. And you're like, why? Why did he tell him to eat it? Well, because he is putting the words of the Lord into Ezekiel's mouth, and it tastes good to him. So couldn't we say that to be that the word of the Lord is good and should be sweet to our souls? It very much should be, because the word of the Lord is good, and the Lord takes care of his people. So he was given the words to speak to the people of Israel. And he tells them, the people I'm sending you to are not barbarians. They are not people who are unaware of me. They are your own people, and they are the most stubborn of people. So then, what God does is he makes Ezekiel just like them, stubborn for stubborn, obstinate for obstinate, but for God instead of for themselves. So as resistant as the people of Israel have been to the word of the Lord, Ezekiel is going to be resistant to their nonsense. And then in verse 10, God says something very important. He said, Son of man, take into your heart all my words, which I will speak to you, and listen closely. 
That applies directly to us as well. We should take to heart all the words of the Lord that we are hearing, as well as all the words throughout his word. The word of the Lord is the only thing that's going to save us. He has prepared his word directly for us, for our instruction. We need to listen closely to what God says. That is the way to live properly in this world and to be obedient to him. So then we see something interesting here. We see it's almost as if the Holy Spirit just takes him here. It says in verse 14, the Holy Spirit lifted me up and took me away. I don't know if he like instantaneously arrived at his location, but it kind of seems like that. And this isn't the only time that this has happened. This happened to Philip as well in the New Testament after Christ has already risen from the dead and gone back to heaven. So we see the Holy Spirit took him to the river Chabar, where he came from, and he lived among them. And it says that he went embittered in the rage of his spirit. Now, embittered by what? We need to be careful on this one, because if you want to say he was embittered by the work that God is giving him, well, that's not true at all. He is embittered by the stubbornness of these people. He is upset that the people that need to hear this the most, God's chosen people, are going to make his life so difficult in trying to convey the message of the Lord. So he spends time with them, and then he is given more instructions by the Lord. And this begins the signs. There are, in the book of Ezekiel, starting in chapter 4, ten different unique signs that Ezekiel has to perform to show what God is going to do to Israel and to the nations around them. So, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see the sign of the brick. So, when I read it right now, I imagined almost like a model set, where I saw he grabbed a brick, which is supposed to represent Jerusalem, and then he started building like a little play model city around it, almost like a Lego set, almost. That's what it reminded me of. And then he was showing and illustrating all these different things about what Israel looked like and the siege against it and all these different things that God was performing on the land. And then it shows in the second sign, which is in verse 4, where God gives Ezekiel a unique assignment. So it says here that he was supposed to lay on each side of his body for so many days as a testimony toward each nation, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so it says he was supposed to lay on his left side for 390 days. That's a long time. And then he's supposed to lay on his right side for a much shorter time, which is 40 years. So why? What is the significance of this? Well, the thing is, first of all, we have to understand, he wasn't asking him to lie down continually, like he was stuck laying in this position for a year and a month. No, he wasn't doing that. But 
during the hours of the day that he was prophesying, this is what he was supposed to do. And this is how he prophesied, by laying on his left side, overlooking all the siege of Jerusalem, and so on and so forth. So the years indicate how long these nations had been rebellious against the Lord. And as we recall from our readings before, the northern kingdom of Israel never had a good king. So since the division of Israel into two parts, and therefore the entire time they existed as a nation, that was just condemnation building up. And it was a particular number, 390 days to symbolize 390 years. That's how long the nation of Israel, northern kingdom, was against God. The numbers are a little difficult to understand, but that's where we're at. And then for the 40 years, this one doesn't completely make sense to me because there were more than 40 years in Judah where they were in rebellion to the Lord, so I'm not sure exactly why, but I suppose it might be reckoned to to the 40 years between 586 B.C., which was the fall of Jerusalem, to 546 B.C., when God's chosen person, Cyrus, threatened Babylon and overcame it. Because we saw that in previous readings that Cyrus was prophesied to exist by name, just like Josiah was also prophesied to be a person by name well before his time. Then we begin the third sign in verse 9, but when it comes to the bread. So now we're seeing that Ezekiel is learning the horrors of this coming siege. And he was allowed to only eat a specific thing and allowed to drink a certain amount of water. So he was only allowed to drink one quart of water a day, and he was only able to eat eight ounces of bread a day. And this bread was had specific ingredients in it. And what's interesting is in today's world, if you go to the grocery store, in the frozen section, there is a brand of bread called Ezekiel bread, and they made it as closely as possible to the original recipe here. They added all those ingredients to the bread, and quite honestly, that bread is good. I like it. So it's pretty neat that they did that. But So he was only able to eat eight ounces of bread a day and one quart of water. And the way that Ezekiel was told to bake this bread was over fuel that was human waste, human excrement. Ezekiel petitioned to the Lord that he not do it in this way because he has never defiled himself according to the law of Moses. And so, being the merciful God that he is, he allowed Ezekiel to use cow dung instead. And then, as we enter chapter 5, we see the fourth sign which is the shaving of his body. Now, for a Jewish man to shave his head and his beard was considered a disgrace. It was considered to be an embarrassment. So, in this case, this was a humbling experience for Ezekiel, as well as what it's going to illustrate to the nation around him. So, the hairs 
are divided into different categories, which at first you read this like, why? This is kind of weird. But this is why he's doing it. So he's divided the hair into four different categories. So one part is going to be destroyed in the city, which we read throughout the next couple chapters that it's going to be through famine and pestilence. One part of it is going to be killed in battle through the sword, is what we keep seeing. He's going to die by the sword. One part is going to blow away in the wind, which is to signify exile. And then there will be a faithful remnant where there's a few hairs he's supposed to save and bundle it and attach it to the edge of his robe. Those few hairs are the remnant of Israel. And those are the faithful ones that will return to the Lord and will preserve the nation. There is always a remnant. Are you, do you see that? It always happens. There's always a remnant. Then in verse 10, we see cannibalism taking place. Now, bear in mind what time period we're in. We are in the exile already. This has already happened. But what God is doing with Ezekiel is educating him on the severity of what happened, giving him some context, giving him the history of what is going on, why God did what he did. I love that, don't you? God is not a God of confusion. He explains thoroughly, while albeit in a very unusual way to us, he thoroughly explains why he poured out his wrath on his people that he vindicates himself in this way to show that you see how long this nation's been sinning against me and therefore this is what I did. I love that he did this. It's a very unusual way he did it, but the way that he explains himself is remarkable. Chapter 6 is going to describe the root reason why all of this happened and that is the idolatry that the nation was performing. So he talks about here, for example, that he is prophesying to the mountains. What do the mountains have to do with this? The mountains don't sin. They're rocks and dirt, right? Well, the problem is, is that the people of Israel would go to these mountains, and they would build altars to their many idols, usually the idol of Baal. So this idolatry is the reason why God allowed the land to be conquered. And we know that because we've seen that through other prophets as well. This is not a surprise to us at this point. We just finished walking through Jeremiah, who was there eyewitnessing all this stuff. In spite of the severity of God's judgment on his people, like it says in verse 8, However, I will leave a remnant. See, he always does this. And he wants the people that have escaped to remember him. Like he says in verse 9, they will remember me. And how I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me. That's why. That's why all this happened. The people of Israel, his chosen people, broke God's heart. He was deeply offended by what happened. And therefore, in his justice, he had to take action. And once he's done those things, like what he did with Ezekiel's hair, it says in verse 13 of chapter 5, Thus my anger will be spent, and I will satisfy my wrath on them, and I will be appeased. Because they have been dealt with properly. 
So then, in chapter 7, it ends with the coming of Babylon to the nation of Judah. And we see this referenced many times, especially in verse 10, being the rod that has come. The rod has budded, arrogance has blossomed, that is Babylon. They think they're the greatest nation ever, and they have successfully conquered a large area. And so, yeah, they've built themselves up in pride. And then we see halfway through the chapter that God describes the people that escape like doves. Just like doves whose homes are in the valleys, and they can escape by flying to the mountains anytime they want to, these people will escape just like a dove, and yet they will be mourning all the way because of their sins, which is proper, because that's what doves do. They're mourning doves. They make sad sounds. And so that is the illustration that God is using to describe the people that will escape and will live, the remnant. They will understand what they did wrong and why they have offended their holy God, and they will learn. And that's a beautiful thing. God gives them an opportunity to learn, and he does not completely abandon his people. He preserves his nation forever. But we know that God does not allow the wicked to prosper, and he does not allow the wicked people to have a lineage. And that's what we see here. It's almost a form of a reset. In Ezekiel, probably more than any other book, you're going to see this often at the end of the prophecies. Anytime you see that where it says, Thus says the Lord, that is a direct quote from the Lord. In the same way, at the end of Ezekiel's things, he'll often say, Then you will know that I am the Lord. All these proofs, all these evidences are going to take place, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I'm going to prove to you who I am, and once you see this, you will recognize who I am. You're going to see that a lot in Ezekiel. The final thought I want to leave with you, and I wanted to wait till the very end on this one because this one directly applies to us. This one is back in chapter 3. So what's interesting in the second half of the chapter is something where God is telling Ezekiel how he is going to be accountable for the message to the wicked people. In verse 18, he tells Ezekiel that when I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn them. So he tells Ezekiel what to tell these sinful people. And he has a choice at this point, if he's going to say what God told him, or if he's not going to say it. Out of kindness, out of pity, out of stubbornness, we don't know why. But if he's obedient to the word of God, and he pronounces the judgment and the truth to the people intended for the message, then they will be guilty on their own, and Ezekiel will be blameless because he did his job. However, if he has the message of salvation for these people, the message from the Lord, and he does not tell them exactly what God told him to say, and that person will die in their sins, and he will hold Ezekiel accountable for it. 
that the blood of that person will be on him. I don't know, but I get the feeling from reading this that God intends this for us as well. It's like what James says in his letter. If you know the right thing to do and you do not do it, to you it is sin. I think this directly applies to our great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. God calls us to live godly lives, and he calls us to interact with people for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel with them. And we have to ask ourselves, honestly, are we doing that? Now, bear in mind, let me make it very clear that God is not depending on us for the outcome. All right? He doesn't depend on us to save people, because we can't. He's the one who does all the saving. He is the one that will restore individuals. He is the one that offers salvation through the calling that was predestined from the beginning of time. This is all his doing, but yet he invites us into the activity, and he uses us as conduits of his word. So in that respect, we know that God sees and knows all things, past, present, and future. Perhaps there will be certain people that will not be offered salvation because we will not offer the gospel to them. And the way that the Bible has it set up is that they cannot be saved unless they've heard of the gospel. That is a big, scary responsibility, isn't it? The fact that I may be the reason why somebody doesn't get saved, it kind of scares me. God cannot be thwarted. He's not going to change his mind. But just the thought that, hey, I may not have done my best, and because of that, somebody's not going to hear the gospel and therefore not get saved. That really scares me. Maybe this is what we need in order to get more motivated on this, to put a little bit of pressure behind it. The urgency of the gospel. It is important beyond belief that we should do this. Share the gospel with people without hesitation, without reservation. Get out of your comfort zone and talk to somebody about it. I'm pointing at myself as well as I say it, because I know that sometimes I get a little shy on saying this stuff in the middle of my days, and yet I shouldn't. I know that. To what lengths are you going to go to make sure the gospel is heard, to save people from hell, to save people from themselves. Let's consider that as we leave today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.